How about we not talk about college football today? <laughs> oh, you Sparties, just ha- let me have it right now. No. God has a way of just taking an idol and just smashing it. And uh, I am free. free. Well, uh, sometimes people have referred to Crossroads as the locker room church. And I think what they mean by that is any team that, that is a team does some pretty important things in the locker room. Uh, That's where a team is formed, their identity, love of teammates, all the blood, sweat, and tears, and the agony of of just being together. But a team does not stay in the locker room. A team goes out onto the playing field. And today, I think, we're going to really feel like we're in the locker room today. Uh, We've started this two- to three-month series on the Sermon on the Mount, and Attached to that this year is our theme verse. If anyone claims to be in Christ, he or she must walk as Jesus walked. And we, as we've looked at this sermon, which flushes out really the walk of Christ like nothing else in the Bible, in my opinion, uh, the first part of the sermon, which has historically been called the Beatitudes, describes the people of the kingdom. And I know we've said this many times, but I want us to see it with our very own eyes, um, why we can say this uh, from the text. Uh, If you notice, it starts with, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and then it goes through those who mourn, uh, those who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it gets all the way down to the last beatitude, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. And so... For theirs, kingdom is the thing that brackets the whole thing. And that describes the characteristics that every follower of Christ possesses, the traits. So we ought to always be asking ourselves, coming back to this, does this describe me, you? Does this describe us? Jesus then in the sermon moves from the people of the kingdom uh, to the mission of the kingdom. And when we talk kingdom, what is the kingdom? Anybody? What is the kingdom? Act like right now you're not in church. That's what the whole Bible's about. In the kingdom of heaven, you want me to give you the best definition for it? Exactly what it says it is. Heaven. It's the realm of heaven. It's God's space, God's presence, God's rule, breaking into our space on earth and making that space heaven. This is what happened when God created the world. God's space invaded the chaos, the, 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 the tohu vevohu, and what came forth was order, beauty, perfect harmony, a garden, Eden, heaven, heaven on earth. And this is why Jesus describes those 
who belong to the kingdom of heaven as blessed. And we learn that blessed means to be ecstatically happy, gushing with joy. Does that describe you today? And why are we that? Because as the hymn said, heaven came down and glory filled our soul. That's why Jesus says, this realm, it is within you. Heaven is actually in us. And, and if you look at the verses that precede the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 4, verse 23, uh, it says that Jesus went into all the villages in Galilee preaching this message of the kingdom of heaven. That heaven is here. Heaven is drawing near to earth. The king is here. It's breaking in. Now, some of us grew up reading the Chronicles of Narnia. Thank you. <laughs> or some of us didn't bother reading it, but we just watched the movies. And what's Narnia? Most of us just watched the movies, I know. Narnia is this place fictional place where it's always winter because the white witch has cast her spell over all of it. Winter. Right now, let's think about winter. Let's think about winter. It's coming. <laughs> it's not just always winter in Narnia, but there's also no Christmas. That's like the worst case scenario. I mean, that's the only thing that gets us excited about winter is that Christmas is a part of it. Um, it's this way until what? Until the great lion shows up. And the spell begins to be undone. And the snow begins to melt. And the thaw begins. And the smell of spring is in the air. Look at these next verses in Matthew's gospel right before the Sermon on the Mount. Now. It's all right. This is Crossroads. Does anybody know the next verses? I'll tell them to you. The lame began to walk. The blind began to see. The deaf began to hear. The captives were set free. What's happening? The lion is here. The curse is being undone. The spell is being broken. Heaven, heaven, heaven is coming to earth. And listen, heaven is coming to earth not just through the great lion, through Christ. But the New Testament, the whole Bible is here to tell us that Heaven comes to earth through us. We bring heaven. Because from the very beginning, God has always wanted a partner. Adam and Eve, partner with me. I'm entrusting this whole earth that I created to you to rule it, to subdue it for my glory. Abraham, partner with me. 
I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna bless your, your, your family so that your family can bless all the families on the face of the earth. Israel, partner with me. Become my bride, become my lifelong partner so you can put me on display, so you can bring heaven into all the earth. Church, I picked you for the same reason, to be my special possession, a holy nation, to priest my presence, heaven into all the earth. So this partnership is not just about us going to heaven, but it's about heaven coming to us so we can bring heaven to earth. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, after the Beatitudes becomes very Jewish with the images he uses. He says, now the people of my kingdom, here's your mission. You are to be salt and you are to be light. Salt in the ancient world had two specific uses. First, it was a world that had no refrigeration, so the, ways, the way that you kept things from spoiling, from decay, namely meat, is you salted it. It was just applied to the meat, to preserve it, to keep it from spoiling. Think about what Jesus is saying then when he says to his followers, you are that. Not just salt, but you're the salt of the whole earth. It's our call to preserve this world, to keep it from spoiling, from decaying. It's, our, it's, it, it's the call for us to attach ourselves to our world, to attach ourselves to our neighborhood, to our community. It's, it's the call to attach ourselves to, to, to the nations, to every part of earth, so that none of it would spoil. The other use of salt in the ancient world is that they'd take salt and they would mix it with manure. I know that seems strange, but they didn't have gas. Um, the, the, the things that they burned in their stoves was manure for the most part. I mean, I think your great-grandparents did the same thing. Uh, what they found is that when you added salt to the manure, the manure burned 10 times hotter and 10 times longer. And see, this is what Jesus is picking up on when he says in Luke 14, 34 and 35. He says, therefore, salt is good, but if salt has become tasteless, it is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. Therefore, it is thrown out. Now we're getting into Jesus' main point. As salt, we are to be mixed into the manure of our world. I find it crazy to see how many Christians today are so frightened of the world. They run and hide from the world. They isolate themselves from the world. And they call this being Christian. Now, Jesus said, you are the salt. We are to attach ourselves to the world. Even the places where it might smell and it's a bit stenchy, where it's rotting, where it's spoiling, and just look at Jesus' life. He moved right in. He attached himself to what his world would call some of the stenchiest, smelliest people and places 
In fact, you know what? If Jesus walked into this room right now, you know who his heart would gravitate towards? Not those who have it all put together. His heart would gravitate towards the most messed up among us. And Jesus builds on this image of salt by adding another image, that of light. He says, you are the, you are the light, you. Yes, he is the light of the world, but then he looks at us, his followers, and says, now you too are the light of the world. And, and, and think about light. Think about what our world would be if there was no light. It would be as if we were all blind. Our world would be completely dark, which is why when God created the world, the first thing he said was, let there be light. And at that moment, heaven was unleashed upon the tohu vebohu, the chaos, and creation began. And the apostle Paul has the audacity to say that the very God who at creation said, let there be light, said, he made that very light to shine in our hearts to give us the light, the knowledge of the glory of God, which is in Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying that something as great as what happened at creation, when God said, let there be light, is going on inside of us. New creation. We are the light of the world. Which is why Jesus says, don't hide it, but let it shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give praise to God. This is our call. We are to be light. And we're to shine this light into the world, among the world, with the world, that they may see our good deeds and worship God. Peter says the same thing. Uh, He's learning to walk as Jesus walked. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and give praise to God. And I love this. In both instant instances, when Jesus talks about good deeds, when Peter talks about a good life and good deeds, it's not good in the moral sense. It's good in the beautiful sense. It's the word for beauty. It's this call to live a beautiful life, to do beautiful deeds, to walk a beautiful walk as Jesus walked. In other words, it's not for us to be judgmental or separate or repulsive. Jesus is calling us to be beautiful, that the world would be attracted to us and that we would be so attracted to it. And what makes us attractive? The Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it's learning how to walk as Jesus walked. Which is what Jesus is gonna continue to flesh out in the Sermon on the Mount. Isaiah 32 gives us another, I think, spectacular statement with another image. Um, in Isaiah 32, verse one, uh, Isaiah says, looking forward to the lion, the Christ that is to come. He says, see, a king will reign in righteousness. His next statement is even more amazing, or as amazing. And rulers will rule with justice. It's easy to know who the king is, but who are the rulers? 
I mean, Jesus at the end of his life, right before he left, said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he took that authority and he did not entrust it uh, to a government. He did not entrust it to presidents or politicians. He didn't even entrust it to popes, bishops, clergy, or pastors. He took that authority, all of it that had been given to him, and entrusted it to all of his followers. Christian, do you realize how much authority you have right now simply because you are a follower of Jesus Christ? And it's the authority to, 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 to rule with justice. He, he entrusted this authority to us to, to bring justice, his shalom, to, to, to bring heaven to earth. And look at the pictures that flush this out, what it looks like in, in the next verse. Isaiah says, each one will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert, in the shade of a great rock in a thirsty land. I don't have to tell you this. Our world is turbulent. It's stormy. It's thirsty. Our world is a dry and barren desert. This is why one of the favorite places for me to bring people when we go to Israel is a desert, just so that people can feel this. Because after three days of being in that hot, hot climate where it just beats you up, the moment they come to this, which flows out of the desert, if you look closely, there's a stream. And that stream, when they see it, they know exactly what to do. I don't even have to tell them. <laughs> because in that ancient world, this isn't just water. This is living water. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, God says, this is what I am. I am living water. In Hebrew, it's called Maim Kaim. Jesus showed up on the earth and said the same thing. He said, anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, for I am that. I'm living water. I'm Maim Kaim. Have you drank that? Have you feasted on that? Is that the thing that you turn to? Is that what you run to? Is that what you are, are, are taking in more than anything else? That being Christ? Do you hunger and thirst for Christ? Because when we drink that water long enough, not only is he going to turn our deserts into Eden, into heaven, but as I said, our world is a desert. And both Jesus and Isaiah paint the same picture of what we will become when we drink that. We, we become that. Jesus has come to me and streams of water will flow. Literally, the word there is gush out of you. That's what happened when we drank that. We become that.
Are you that? Who would say that about you right now? Who would say, when I'm so thirsty, I just, I go to you? Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your neighbors, the people you work with? Because Jesus is saying, this is what we are. Not only do we drink of that, but we become that. And I end with this imagery right now, because not only does this help us understand the Sermon on the Mount and everything that Jesus is saying, what God is calling us to be, what God is calling us to do, because God right now is calling this church to a specific desert in a specific part of the world that actually shows up in our Bible quite a bit. And it's gonna be interesting to see how this gets played out in the next days, weeks, and months. Uh, but I'm gonna ask a great friend of mine, uh, a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the president of ELIC, English Language Institute in, Ch in, in China, um, which is now, as you'll learn, more than just in China. Um, and, and I can say this this morning, what he does and where he is, because we're not gonna even put this on recordings, um, it can't be recorded. Um, the things that his ministry does all over the world um, just have to be guarded in that kind of way. Uh, and our church, uh, through Matt Stoll, and just our discernment of the Holy Spirit is calling us to partner with, with, with Tim and ELIC. So at this point, let's give him a crossroads welcome. Come on up, Tim. Hey, buddy. Let him have it, buddy.